just as simply as things have gotten worse because of our environment, that also means we have the power to change things. The body is super resilient. It's amazing what the human body can do if we're not uh, poisoning it all day. You do want your kid to get colds and coughs and runny noses and all of these things, especially in a mild form, because that's what keeps their immune system working and functioning. What do you say to parents about gassiness in babies? Is it really, truly unsafe to give a baby under one honey? I mean, are we really still? Can we talk about fevers in children? Here's one that might surprise a lot of people that between lead and arsenic on the toxicity scale, we find fluoride. I'm Cynthia Overgaard, owner of Hypnobirthing of Connecticut, childbirth advocate, and postpartum support specialist. And I'm Trisha Ludwig, certified nurse midwife and international board-certified lactation consultant. And this is the Down to Birth podcast. Childbirth is something we're made to do, but how do we have our safest and most satisfying experience in today's medical culture? Let's dispel the myths and get down to birth. Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. Joel Gator-Warsh. I am a board-certified pediatrician in Los Angeles, California, and I specialize in integrative medicine. I'm also the host of the Raising Amazing podcast and the Raising Amazing Plus platform. And I also run the Dr. Joel Gator Instagram online. I bal- I love to balance the best of both worlds and, and you know do all the conventional medicine as well as, as integrative medicine. And I just love chatting about holistic health and, and keeping our kids healthy because because what's really frustrating to me is to see and keep watching the statistics about health and, and chronic disease, especially when it comes to kids, really everybody, but especially when it comes to kids, because I'm a pediatrician and the numbers are just getting more and more scary to the point where you look at some studies and it's like 50% of children have a chronic disease at this point, which is, you know, should not be the case. It's really insane. And, and, and as a dad, but also as a pediatrician, it's really scary. So what is... What's happening with the relationship between parents and pediatricians that is somehow allowing this chronic health and these these issues with children to sort of go unchecked? Is it is it something in the relationship or is it something bigger in just our society in general that we can't get a handle on? Yeah, I, I think it's bigger than, than just the relationship. I, you know, for sure, the relationship with medicine uh, and the relationship with the pediatrician has suffered over the last, you know, several decades and certainly the last couple of years. There's a lot of mistrust going both ways and a lot of frustration, I think, you know, going both ways from, from pediatricians and from parents, right? But there is some sort of disconnect, I think, between children's health and just medicine in general these days. But I don't think that's the pediatrician's fault in any way. I, you know, never speak poorly of my colleagues. They're all doing you know amazing work and trying to keep kids healthy. But it's it's bigger than that. It's the system. It's it's what's going on, you know, with everybody right now. And you can say, oh, it's genetics, but that doesn't make any sense because our genetics doesn't change that fast, right? I mean, certainly it changes a little bit over decades and centuries and you know thousands and thousands of years. But what's changing is our environment and all the things that we're doing and all of the things that we're exposed to. Especially if you think about the last. I don't know, 50 years, right? Like when we were growing up, I don't remember autism. I don't remember, you know, peanut allergies. Maybe the odd person had it. Uh, it doesn't mean it didn't exist, but I just, I don't remember it being you know, so pervasive. I don't remember everybody having asthma or allergies or, you know, eczema or whatever. Like it's just so common now. And it wasn't the case before. And that means it's something that we're doing. It's everything that we're doing. It's the, the toxins that we're exposed to, the food that we're eating, you know, just everything. And so, that is a bigger conversation, but it also, when we go to the doctor, it's like, you're there a lot of times for like two minutes or five minutes, or that's how long you see your, your doctor for. So it's really, you know, not possible in the current system for the most part to really address some of the modern day issues. Doctors are great at, you know, identifying serious things and, and sending the hospital if you need to, and, and treating you if you have a, you know pneumonia or something like that, but it's a much bigger conversation around preventative health and, and and health in general. And you can't do that in five minutes. It's very similar to what we see in the birth community and, and women having babies, the conversations that aren't being had to help empower the mother and the parents to prevent things from happening in their birth or in their children, because 
the system is set up in a way that just doesn't allow the time or the provider in medical school, whether it's, you know, pediatric medical school or OBGYN school isn't getting the holistic education. Exactly. I, the, the education has to start from day one. And it's impossible to say really where day one is, but it's definitely not when a baby's born, right? That's not day one for a baby. It's, it's way before that. It's probably, you know, it's for sure before you're even pregnant, right? It's, it's the health of the parents um, and, and, and for sure the health of the mom, but definitely the health of both parents makes a huge difference on, on that progression and the pregnancy and the baby. I mean, there's the environmental working group study where they found several hundred chemicals in, in the cord blood. Right. And that's, you know, just common sense that the more toxins that we're exposed to, the more that's going to get in. And at some point, some amount of toxins is too much. Everybody can handle, you know, we have livers and kidneys and we can detoxify to some degree, but, but everybody gets thrown over the edge at some point, but it's very clear that we're mostly getting thrown over the edge at this point. Everybody's getting to the point where it's too far uh, or most people are. And, and that is important. We need to recognize that we need to recognize that life expectancy is going down. We need to recognize that we're, we're not doing things hundred percent the best way that we could be for the future of our health maybe for the first time ever, we're going in the wrong direction. I appreciated the comments you made earlier because you said things that I've been mulling over for years. And I think it's interesting when you get a little bit older and you can look back on a few decades of your life and see how things change, because it's really true that the public has a very short memory. But the truth is, the reality is, things are dramatically different from when we were growing up. And here's an example I really enjoy giving people Um, my mother has her master's degree in speech pathology. And I remember in the eighties, the movie rain man came out with Dustin Hoffman and Tom Cruise and rain and, um, Dustin Hoffman's character had autism and everyone spent the movie going, what's wrong with him? Why is he weird? Why is he off? What is wrong with that character? Everyone watched the movie that way. Just like what's Mm -hmm. up with the brother. And I remember a few weeks later, because it was a very successful movie, my parents had a dinner party. And I remember walking by and all their friends were educated. They all met their friends in graduate school. They were all, these were all adults sitting around with master's degrees. And I remember my mother leaning in and saying, it's called autism. It's a neuro-linguistic processing disorder. And she had to teach other adults the word autism. And no one would believe that. I mean, anyone listening is probably not even believing that story because they're thinking, how can that be that no one even heard about it? It's true. We all brought peanuts to school. We didn't have, um, what is it? 50% of kids have some kind of learning disability now. And what was the other one? I had one other example. Um, oh, and when my son was young, I remember reading that the fastest growing segment, now we're talking percentage increases. We're not talking absolute numbers. The fastest growing segment of the population going on antidepressants was preschoolers. Mm-hmm. I remember saying that. When do we stand back and say this simple question? Have we grown healthier in the past 30 years or less healthy? Yeah, I mean, isn't that the question we should be asking? Like, it for should all be the question. I mean, inter- that, right. That, I mean, that's what we're But everyone here for, says right? nothing matters. That, well, food doesn't affect you that much. No, don't be silly. The water filter is ridiculous. You're wasting money. Oh, don't be silly about the air. People make a mockery of all th- these things. Um, but come on, then what is it pointing to if not toxicity? I know. I mean, I think that's really. You know, almost idiotic way to think about things, right? It's like, obviously it affects you, right? Obviously it affects you. If you put a bunch of chemicals in a fishbowl, what's going to happen, right? Like you can give them all the medications that you want, but if they can't breathe, you know, they're not going to survive. It's not hard to, to think about, you know, generally what the problem is. I mean, obviously the solution is hard. It's not a, a simple solution, but, but the, if we don't even identify the problem in the first place, we're never going to fix it. But, you know, on the flip side of things, and, you know, we could talk about this probably forever, but I, I do want to say something, you know, positive because it's been you know, a little negative start <laughs> when we talk about this kind of stuff is, you know, just as simply as things have gotten worse because of our environment, that also means we have the power to change things. The body is super resilient. And, and, and if you, and there are other studies or study out of Berkeley where, you know, they were looking at the urine of, of patients and, and, they were eating you know, regular food and they switched them over to organic and like the chemicals went down 90% in like a week or two. So it's like the body's amazing, but it can do in a short amount of time if we decide to identify these changes and make changes. And a lot of these things we can do, we can't change the air 
you know, I mean, as a society, we can, but, but ourselves, we can't just go outside and change our air or maybe the drinking water, but you can change a lot of the choices you make on a daily basis to decrease the chemicals and toxins your family is exposed to. And the reality is that most people are okay. And most people, if you decrease the chemicals and toxins that you're supposed to, you're going to be just fine. But the flip side of that is if you don't identify that now and you keep you know, a little bit of a chemical here, a little bit of a chemical here, a little bit of crappy food here, um, a really bad choice here. And that's going to add up. And if they, do, if they do, do already have a disease, it's going to be 10 times worse in 10, 15 years. I mean, the goal is to prevent us from getting there. And we can, we can reverse a lot of diseases. We can make them certainly a lot better or more manageable. And we can definitely prevent a lot of chronic disease in the long run. If we make healthier choices, there's no question about it because every holistic and integrative practitioner sees it every single day. If you clean up the diet, you get more exercise, you sleep, you decrease your stress. A lot of the time people get better, even from diseases they've had their whole life. It's not always that simple. You can't just always like, Oh, go eat an apple. You're never going to have you know, your lupus. But it's like, if you do these things, then we do see some of those times the, the symptoms totally go away or, or thyroid disease. And, and you go back to your doctor and like, what did you do? Like, how is your levels totally normal? You know, we're not, you know, even on medication anymore, what's going on. And that it's, it's, it's amazing what the human body can do if we're not uh, poisoning it all day. So how do you talk to your um, patients in the beginning? Like what happens with the infants? How do you start this conversation? What do you tell your families to do? It starts with, you know, simple discussion on, how you have a healthy family long-term. And that starts with, well, I call it the seeds of health or the foundations of health. So stress, environment and toxins, exercise, diet, and sleep. I mean, there's lots of acronyms out there, but basically foundations of health, the basic things that we all know that keep us healthy. If you don't eat good food, if you eat crappy food, then you, that's how you get your nutrients. You're built of your food. So if you're eating a bunch of toxins and chemicals and, and not taking in the nutrients, how in any way do you expect for your child to be healthy 15 years from now, how do you expect their immune system to work? How do you expect to fight off an infection if you if you don't take in the nutrients that you need? And go ahead. <laughs> well, it's interesting because whenever you want to heal, step one is always detox. Whether you're trying mm -hmm. to recover from cancer, an autoimmune disorder, the first step is detox. So how about just living our lives in a less toxic way? Um, and not poo-pooing all of these things, but taking seriously these actions. I mean, if you think about the fact that um, my parents' generation, maybe we, I can say our parents' generation, they grew up eating such whole foods, it would be perceived almost as peasant food. You know, they were eating lentils mm -hmm. and they were eating fruit for dessert and they were just eating basic foods and they were cleaning their households with vinegar and water. Mm -hmm. And we didn't have Windex and we didn't have things that said toxic poison. If it's poisonous to drink, it's poisonous to breathe. If a pesticide will kill a tiny bug, enough pesticide will kill or cause disease in a human being. So what do you think are the low hanging fruits of a healthier lifestyle? If a couple is, they move in together, they get together, they get married, they have a baby. What, what are some changes they can make that maybe they weren't raised with? That's a really good question. And I just want to say something before I get there, because you made a really good point about, you know, the chemicals and the cleaners and, and all those things is, you know, that's another big issue in society over the last few years is we've become uh, dissociated from nature, right? It's like, we need to kill everything. We got to kill all the bacteria. We got to wipe everything down. We can, we can never touch, you know, something that's not perfectly clean. And that makes no sense. We're made of bacteria. We evolved in you know, the world, we evolved in nature, we are nature. And so, yeah, there are some bad bacteria out there if it gets into the wrong place or in the wrong situation at the wrong time. And you shouldn't necessarily go licking doorknobs after someone sneezed on it, right? But but that doesn't mean that you have to clean down every single surface all the time. Or if you touch dirt outside, that's bad for you. It's good for you. Hand sanitizer is scary stuff to me. Right. I raised my children not allowed to use hand sanitizer. Right. They have to, hand they have to leave and go wash their hands with soap if they re are required in, in school. Cause chemicals are not the way to help. <laughs> right. It, I mean, a hand sanitizer, you know, it's made for like a, a doctor, right. Or a surgeon or something, you know, you're going into surgery and your body is open and not to be used all the time. Yeah. Not to it, be it, used every time <laughs> you walk into a new store or it, you're about exactly. to sit down at a computer. It's, it's I mean, a lot of you're, you're killing the good stuff in there, right? You're killing the good things that are on your hands. And again, it's, it's, it's not to say that there aren't things that are bad that you could touch or you could get sick. So sometimes it is reasonable, but if you're spraying your hands with a, a toxin, 
multiple times a day, hundreds of times a day, 20 times a day. First of all, you're killing the good stuff that's on there and your skin is an organ. It goes inside you and there's chemicals. And eventually, I mean, people come and they're like, their hands are all, you know, irritated. And, and then, but, but also they know they're like, but they also spray chemical, you know, cleaner on their hands all day at school. It's like, what do you expect to happen? Isn't it also important for us to continually be exposed to germs in order to keep our immune system functioning mm-hmm. at its best. I mean, really yeah. if we're eliminating germs all the time, it's harder for our immune system to, to do its job. Yeah. Our, our immune system is, is built from, from memory, from being exposed to things and then fighting them off and then having memory. So that way, if that you're exposed to it again, it fights it off again, and hopefully you don't get sick again, or you don't get very sick. That's how our immune system works. So you, you do want absolutely to be exposed to, you know, quote unquote germs. You don't want to get that sick. You don't want your kid to go to the hospital. You don't want, you know, horrible stuff to happen, but, but you do want your kid to get colds and coughs and runny noses and all of these things, especially in a mild form, because that's what keeps your immune system working and functioning. And, 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 you know, it's, it's, I take myself or, or other doctors as a perfect example. Like most doctors don't get sick all the time, yet we're exposed to viruses literally all day, every day. All you know, and it's it's because our immune system is so I think strong from the fact that we're exposed to so many things consistently that you like. I probably have more antibodies, you know, per whatever ounce of blood than, than most humans, right? Because you're just like you're exposed to it all the time. So you're anybody say hi, it just fights it off, and and you, and you don't get sick. But in general, germs are not to be feared. We are built of bacteria and viruses and, and all these things. And so we, we do want to live harmoniously with them. And, you know, you can wipe down the doorknobs, but like, <laughs> other than that, it's probably not the best idea to be spraying that there. Just like you said, you can use, you know, vinegar, water, baking soda, things like that. That should be good enough most of the time. If there is one thing that you can do, it's to read food labels. You should know every single thing that's going into your body, you should ideally, hopefully be buying things you don't even need to read a label for because it's just a thing, right? You should be looking to make sure to see if it's, you know, what it's been sprayed in. Is it organic? Is it, you know, genetically modified? I think that's important too. But um, when you're buying anything in a package of any sorts, you have to read the labels. If it's got some long chemically name, it's probably not very good for you. If it's in some fancy package, then they're doing that to distract you from what's actually inside. And it doesn't mean that you can't ever eat something in a packaged food again. But if you're eating that every day, all the time, then you're not eating real food and you're eating chemicals and that builds up. And, and again, going back to, we are built of what we eat and our food system is already so mucked up that the food, even that we're getting at its best half the time is not that great. Um, even in the store, even if you're eating an apple, it's not the same apple as it was, you know, 50 years ago. It's it, most of them have way fewer nutrients than, than anything that we would have had many, many years ago. So you're already behind, you know, the eight ball before you even start. And then we're eating the, you know, packaged foods with, you know, sugar and preservatives and, and all these things. And it's like, if you, anyone who, who's, you know, quote unquote crunchy out there who makes their own, whatever, you know, how fast, how fast it goes bad, right? You make your own like almond milk or, or something. It's like, it, it doesn't last for more than three days. So you look at something in the store that's sitting on the shelves that was made, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago or months ago, and then sitting there and has an expiry date of a year. There's, there's a reason for that, right? It goes bad in a day or two or three. So how could it possibly still be okay for you to drink? They have a bunch of stuff in there that preserves it, right? Um, there was a woman a few years ago on the internet who bought a meal at McDonald's mm-hmm. and kept it for like well over a year. And she walked around with this package and it looked like she had just bought it. It hadn't changed at all. <laughs> like it nothing. was a lot more than a year. It was like decades. Yeah. Like the bread, the bread didn't go bad. The meat didn't, it looked completely preserved. It was just such a wake up call. Um, and I just want everyone to understand the reason you said apples produce is less nutrient dense than it used to be. I, in case anyone doesn't understand why that's because pesticides are not just sprayed on produce, they get absorbed into soil and it starts zapping. It starts like um, making that soil devoid of the nutrients that it's supposed to have on this earth Mm -hmm. Um, from all the minerals that are meant to be in soil. It's all been killed. So that is why it's so important to support organic food. Yes, it's more, but name anything more important than your life and your Mm -hmm. health. Just name anything (laughs) more important. Um, Exactly. We have to preserve these farms that have the soil because once the soil is damaged, It's gone. That's it. Hey there, all you amazing, strong, and beautiful women, especially you new moms and moms-to-be. 
I'm Taylor, co-founder and CEO of Vitality. And I'm Taylor's sister, Chloe, co-founder and chief design officer. We started Vitality to encourage and empower everyone to live a vibrant life. We're all about supporting women, especially on the journey to motherhood. When I was pregnant, I really struggled to find comfy leggings that I could wear all day, every day. So we set out to make the best maternity pants out there. We took those pain points and designed pieces that were supportive and comfortable, including details like a high-rise fit, underbelly seam, raw-cut hems, and to top it off, we have an embedded silicone panel that acts like a built-in suspension system for your low back, which is the first of its kind. So we designed this line in our Marshmallow Soft Cloud 2 fabric in not only a maternity pant, but a volley and biker short as well. Let me tell you, all of these pieces are a game changer. Just go to shopvitality.com. And cherry on top, you guys can use code down to birth at checkout to get 10% off your order. 10% off athleisure designed for pregnancy during pregnancy. Down to birth is sponsored by Postpartum Soothe. Recovering from a vaginal birth takes many women by surprise. Everyday activities like sitting, walking, and going to the bathroom can be uncomfortable. And Postpartum Soothe is just the remedy to support your healing and relieve discomfort. Postpartum Soothe is a 100% organic herbal blend that's applied to maternity pads in the days immediately following your birth, giving you all the benefits of a sitz bath 24-7. That's because herbs like comfrey leaf, uva ursi, and witch hazel are known for their antimicrobial and anti-inflammatory properties. Postpartum Soothe can be prepared anytime during the third trimester, and it makes a beautiful baby gift. It's a must for any woman seeking a faster, easier recovery from a vaginal birth. Visit postpartumsoothe.com. That's postpartumsoothe, S-O-O-T-H-E.com, and use promo code DOWNTOBIRTH. Did you know that 97% of women take a prenatal vitamin, yet 95% of us are still deficient in key nutrients for pregnancy and postpartum? After a long time searching for the optimal prenatal nutrition product, we bring you Needed a radically better prenatal vitamin. Needed's nutritional products offer nutrients that your body can utilize with doses at optimal versus bare minimum levels and are available in capsules and an easy-to-take vanilla powder, perfect for those moms with pill fatigue or nausea. Needed is a woman-founded company offering a superior nutritional product lineup backed by research, data, and insights from nearly 4,000 women's health experts. Needed offers premium supplements for every stage, from egg quality support for women trying to conceive to lactation support for breastfeeding. And you know, Cynthia and I, we love their botanical sleep and relaxation support packets before bedtime. So if you are looking for a radically different prenatal, head on over to thisisneeded.com and enter down to birth for 20% off your first order. Yeah, and I'm going to echo that other point in a minute, but I want to go on from what you just said there, which is, you know, on top of that, not just the pesticides, because the pesticides are, are, are certainly bad. And, 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 you know, those are chemicals and a lot of them started as like antibiotics and, and things like that. And now they have been shown to cause cancer, which, you know, makes sense, but also the, just the way that we farm, you know, you used to go to a farm and, and pick an apple off a tree and things, you know, happen really slowly and, and over years and they would grow and they, and they would, you know, apples would fall down and animals would walk through and, you know, everything was part of nature. Right. And now you go to big factories for basically everything. Right. And then they're, they're mass producing things through fertilizers and they're not using real, you're not getting real nutrients in the soil. It's like fake nutrients that you're putting in to get high yields. Um, and so we're way over producing the soil and the soil doesn't have the nutrients that it's supposed to have and, and take over the the, the years and there aren't animals walking through, you know, pooping in the ground that, you know, it's, it's a cycle. It's, it's the bio, you know, biodynamic, uh, you know, would be called now as opposed to just, it's supposed to be that way. You're supposed to grow a plant and pick something off and some things fall down and the nutrients go back in the soil, but that's not what's happening. So there aren't the nutrients, you know, in the food that we, that we used to see. So it's not the same food, but then the other point, which I think is, is super important that you mentioned was talking about um, spending money. And I'm just, at this point, I am so tired of hearing that it, you know, it costs too much or I don't have enough time. I get it. I get that some things can be more expensive. It's not always more expensive. It doesn't have to be, but it can be. And I get that everybody's busy. They are, but it cannot be an excuse anymore. Like it just can't be an excuse. We have to 
prioritize our health. Nothing is more important than our health and our, our children's health. And, and you may be busy, but you have to prioritize getting good food, going to the farmer's market, buying real food, cooking food with your family. You have to prioritize spending your money in the right place. It doesn't mean you have to buy everything organic or everything more expensive. You can buy seeds and grow things that could be way cheaper than buying food in, in the long run. What more? What is more important than our health and what we're eating and what we're doing? It's just, it's a priorities thing. And it's not to you know diminish somebody who's super busy, but that's also a systems issue. Like we have to make healthy food available to people uh, at every price point. So that way, when you go to the store, all the food is healthy or there's local you know, gardens that you could go to to get your food or your community is growing things that we can all, all share. Like this is, there's a, a personal responsibility and a societal responsibility. Both are important, but you as a family leader, as a parent, you have to make a decision that this is important to me and I'm going to do every single thing possible within my budget and within my means and within the time frame that I have to make better health choices every day, every week for the long run. And those things add up. Yeah. Because ultimately what happens is if you don't take care of your health, your life gets a hell of a lot more expensive and a hell of a mm -hmm. lot busier and harder because, mm -hmm. or your children's health, if your children are not healthy, everything is busier and harder trying to keep up with whatever it is that they are dealing with and trying to heal from. And in reality, healthy food is not, it's just not actually that much more expensive if you cook really simply. Mm -hmm. Things like no. beans and vegetables and potatoes, real foods, if you cook with them and you get a little creative with your cooking, it is actually a lot less expensive than a, a prepackaged dinner that you might buy mm -hmm. or certainly going out to eat. I mean, one of the ways that we really take in a lot of unhealthy foods is spending money on packaged food, to-go food, going out to eat, takeout, that kind of thing. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, it's it's no question more time. It's way more time. That's that's not even, you know, within the same world. You can, you know, heat up something in five minutes versus you have to make a whole meal. But it, it definitely does not have to be more. Sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. But you can get creative and you can learn how to mix things together. And, and some things you can, again, you can grow things at home too. I mean, it's not that hard to grow things. I know, if, you know, we, we we're not we're not taught this or haven't done it in so many years, but it's like really fun to get in the dirt. You know, if you have kids, teach them how to, how to, you know, plant a tomato uh, or, or, you know, put some basil in a pot. You don't need a lot of space. You could put it on your balcony and you can get them touching dirt and, and soil. And then maybe your kids won't think that a cucumber comes in a plastic bag from a grocery. Like most kids don't even know this, right? They don't know where food comes from. They think it comes from the grocery store. And how do you expect to respect your food um, and respect farmers and, re and respect the process when you don't even know where it comes from. And it's just like, oh, you go to the store and you get this thing. I've raised my children pescatarian, so we never have meat. And my husband became pescatarian when I met him and all of our extended relatives have become that way. So it's just how my whole family eats. And I love to, um, I love to say to my children, will you look at how beautiful food is? It's just, it's not an accident that human beings find it beautiful. And I sometimes, I think I saw a documentary once. I wish I could remember which one, but I've watched so many about food. And one of them had someone that said something very compelling. I think it was a raw vegan diet that they were talking about. And the person in the documentary said, imagine you're starving on a desert Island and two things roll up on shore at once. One of them is a big barrel of beautiful fruits, vegetables, produce, all the colors of the rainbow, big barrel washes in on the shore. And then a dead cow washes in, which one do you pounce on? Which one <laughs> do you pounce on? I, I can't get over how beautiful it is. And there's something innate in us that's drawn to it. And that's why humans through the millennia have eaten it because we were attracted to it. And we're losing that instinct of what we're actually attracted to in the store. Mm -hmm. Let's just start with the first things you tell people to do that would make their household healthier to just make their, yeah. What would you say about that? Yeah, great, great, great question. So, I mean, first of all, you think about it, especially with the pandemic, 
in the last few years, a lot of people have been home more. So the that's your immediate environment. That's where you sleep all night, you know, most of the time. So there's nothing more important in terms of an environment to you than all the things that are in your home, all the chemicals and the toxins. So, you know, we, when I talk to parents, it's just reminding them about you're in that place probably more than anywhere else. So there's nowhere that you should think about chemicals and toxins more than in your home. And it's the first step is thinking about it, right? Think about what it is that you're buying, read the labels, find out what's been sprayed on these things and decide if that's what you want to be putting into your home, onto your body, wherever you're sleeping, you know, things are sprayed in, um, in all sorts of chemicals like flame retardants and, and other things where, you know, there are good, obviously good qualities to some things that like a flame retardant, there's some good qualities that too, you don't want necessarily everything to go up in flames, but at the same time, any good thing has some negative, right? And it's a balance. And so, you know, are there other options that you can find that that just don't have that level of chemicals? Is it the, you know, where you're sleeping? What what bed, what mattress are you using? What's in it? What's it made of? What are your sheets made of? What are you cleaning with? Can you get a nat, you know, a natural clean? This is going on your clothes and your sheets every single day, all the time. So if you have rashes, itchy skin, eczema, whatever it may be, you know, you should think about switching up your cleaners. There's all sorts of natural cleaners out there. There's soap nuts, which are just nuts that release, uh, you know, soap chemicals. So you can use those. There's obviously a wide range of different cleaners that you can use from, you know, the big chemically ones to much more natural ones. So maybe you can go buy a natural one and try that. And it might keep your clothes just as clean, (laughs) or you just, you know, if they get really dirty at a specific point, then you can use your chemicals that, you know, one time for that specific thing, but just in general, you're, you're using a more natural cleaner. Um, you already mentioned before, like the, the way you, you know, clean surfaces, most of the time you don't need something that kills all the bacteria, just use vinegar, uh, and water or baking soda for your everyday cleaners, use essential oils to make things smell nice. That's, that's great. Like, you know, you don't, you want to look again, which essential oils are you buying? What chemicals are in there? There's really, you know, crappy essential oils and there's really good ones. It depends how they're made and, and, you know, which company you're using or how natural, they are, but, but you don't need something that's great. That has a fragrance like lemon. You can just use lemon, right? You could you can use lemon water or you can use lemon essential oil or, or something like that. And, and the more that we can get back to nature and the more that we can be surrounded by things that are actually natural as opposed to chemical, then our bodies are going to be way happier. And how about just opening your windows and opening your doors and letting some fresh air in because the indoor air environment, the quality of air in our homes is generally far worse than outdoors. Now that probably doesn't apply in certain areas. Uh, if you're living next to, you know, a treatment yeah. <laughs> a treatment plant or, or, railroads or, or something or well, then highways, the indoor quality but, does match the outdoor in that case anyway. Yeah, yeah. Outdoors, right. I mean, <laughs> well, I'm they, thinking if you, if your windows are closed and you filter your air, maybe then your air inside is better, mm. but just opening your windows, right. It's just yeah. No, I mean, there's no question. Opening up your windows is super important in general. I mean, obviously if you're in some really bad day with really bad air quality, maybe that's not the case specifically, but it, by and large, yeah, you want to get airflow. You want to get the chemicals flow through because even if there's some other stuff going on outside then at least you're getting the stuff outside of your house inside your house out and and you know mixing which is which is good um you can get plants plants are great for inside your home they can clean the air you can get a filter and then you know the water is the other big one so thinking about you know water filtration system or or getting water um you know it's not tap water potentially it could could be you know big ones in terms of decreasing your chemicals so you get your most bang for your buck there in terms of, you know, what's going in and touching your body and what you're breathing. If you start there, that's, that's a pretty good, pretty good step up from, you know, where you might be. And you can do almost all of that for free right now. Here's one that might surprise a lot of people. And this is not opinion. This is fact that between lead and arsenic on the toxicity scale, we find fluoride. Mm -hmm. Fluoride is really toxic. And most of us grew up like completely brainwashed into the notion that it was the one thing that would save us from cavities. Um, <laughs> it's just not the case and it's a high price to pay, even if that were true, even if that, that were the case. Yeah. I, I, it's, it's another great comment. And like, you know, almost all chemicals, everything seems all wonderful and great when you, you know, you first bring out a chemical, but that's also the research done by the companies and, you know, whoever's created it. And then as you go on in the long run, 
and and how you know how much do we need and how, and are we being exposed to way too much can we you know way decrease it and still get the benefits of it that we need or should we have none of it you know there, there's still a lot of research that, that needs to be done to to really decide you know quite exactly you know where where we want to put this but there's lots of research coming out now there's you know it's a neurotoxin and and it can affect you so um, it's they almost make it sound like a nutrient mm-hmm. and it's just not the case yeah yeah I, I think well it's still I have not seen the recommendations change yet overall in, in medicine and dentistry. I still think the the general, you know, overarching thoughts is that there's more good than bad. But I, I definitely see in the wave changing. There's a lot more mainstream discussion around fluoride these days. There's a lot of dentists that are moving away from it, or at least you know having more discussions. Uh, there's definitely a lot more online. People are becoming more educated. Um, I don't get fluoride put on my you know teeth when I go anymore. I also have seen a lot of doctors that are not as supportive of that anymore. So I think you know that's somewhere in the world of, of controversial, but but um, in the middle of of, of a turn. I think I feel like in, you know, 10, 20, 30 years, it'll be much less common. And there's definitely studies that have come out, lots of them that have questioned the safety um, of it. So we'll see where, where things land. And and, and also like medicine and, and just the medical industry in general is very slow to change. Right. So just because something comes out, they want to see a lot of evidence before they're going to make a, a sweeping policy change, which is good and bad. Like you don't want medicine just come willy nilly and, and make uh, decisions based on nothing. You want it to be based on research. So that's good, but that also gives you some downside of it takes a long time to make a change. And so, you know, yeah, even, of- <laughs> even once the evidence is out, sometimes it right. still it, takes it, it, years and well. years to get into practice. I mean, doctors were recommending smoking for how many years until it's like, Oh, it causes lung cancer. Okay. Probably shouldn't recommend that anymore or glyphosate or other things. You know, once there's enough evidence, people change, but it takes a while. Can we talk about fevers in children in children? Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, so first of all, I say, you know, you have to break down fevers depending on the age uh, of a child. It's much more concerning to have a fever in a young baby than it is for, for older kids. So for a fever for a kid under two months, you always have to get that seen. There's no question about that in, in medicine, um, just because a new baby doesn't have as, as strong an immune system as older kids would have or adults would have. And you just have very little time between a kid starting to become sick and becoming really, really sick uh, in some situations. And so you always need to be checked just to make sure because you just really can't tell with a newborn. So in general, especially in the first month, you always got to go to the emergency department. After that, you know, most of the time that between one and two months, you would to get a workup. Um, so that and a fever being above 100.4 technically um, in medicine. So there's not really a lot of gray area in medicine from that. But after that, there, you know, it's a lot of gray area. It's not that clear. Fevers are, you know, there's a lot of fever phobia. It's like we think fever is a bad thing, which it definitely is not. Fever is an indication that something's going on, but if you're having a fever from being sick from a virus or, or uh, something else, that's it's a good thing. It's your body raising your temperature to fight uh, that infection to make the your environment and your body more inhospitable to the, the virus or the bacteria and also to speed up the processes in your body uh, to get blood you know moving around your body to fight off the infection and then do whatever it needs to do and then um, also just to help you sweat so you can get things out you know of your body as well. So there are lots of good things from fever. And so that what a doctor is worried about is not usually the fever unless the fever is going on for a long time being like more than you know, three to five days, or the fever is like really high, like above 105. But if you have like a 101, 102, you know, we're not concerned about that so much as the symptoms that go along with it. So you have a fever um, of 104, but your kid's smiling and running around and playing and happy. I'm much less worried as a pediatrician about that than the kid that has a 101, but is having trouble breathing or not waking up or, or not being able to say something to you. So, you know, if you're ever worried, you should always get checked out at your doctor um, or your practitioner. But by and large, you should not be afraid of fevers. It's just indicating that something's going on and let your body do what it's supposed to do. So would you recommend generally then if, if a child is having a fever and is seeming happy or is not having any severe symptoms like difficulty breathing, not to treat the fever with Advil or Tylenol, but just let the fever take its course? Or how do you recommend? Yeah, no, in most cases, I, I think that if the kid is pretty happy, they're not miserable, then there's, you don't need to use a fever reducer. You can, if you want to, I think, you know, probably minimal, you know, long-term effects from that, but you never know, you know, what we're going to find out about 
Tylenol or something 15 years from now. Um, and certainly there's, again, there's always downsides to everything, but you have to weigh the pros and the cons in that situation. If your kid is miserable, sometimes bringing their temperature down to help them sleep is probably uh, the better thing. But, but if your kid's just sitting there watching TV and they're happy and they have a 101, there's no reason to give a fever reducer, you know, almost in any case for that, just let the fever do its thing. And your temperature, you know, if you've ever been sick before, right, which we all have, you know what happens, your temperature goes up, and then you sweat, and then your temperature goes down, and you get chills, and it goes up and down. So, you know, if you can leave it for a couple hours, and if they're okay, I think that's fine. I don't think you should feel bad if you give your kid a fever reducer. That's not, I think, the end of the world. But, but you know, you, I, I say the same thing with Tylenol or Motrin or, you know, Genex is the new one. Um, use it when you need it, right? It's, there's nothing wrong with using a medicine if you need it. Just don't use it just because. Don't do a medication just or an antibiotic just because you have a cough. Don't do Tylenol just because you have a low grade fever. If your child has a 104 and they're miserable and they can't sleep, yeah, maybe that's a good time to use, you know, your Tylenol that one time. But if you're doing it every other day for months, well, that's when you're going to have chemical problems. Right. Do you have some other tips for parents who are um trying to treat colds and flu and other kind of mild to moderate illnesses at home? Yeah. Um, so in terms of, you know, your regular old viruses, you know, presuming like you've, you've been to the doctor, they're like, oh, it's a cold, you're, you're totally fine. And your kid's not having trouble breathing or other things you're worried about. Obviously, if you're worried, get seen. But if we're talking about, you know, your regular old runny nose or something like that, um, a lot of people start with, you know, if they're little, you can like squirt some saline uh, or, or exlear, which has xylitol in it. You can squirt that in the nose and then kind of suction it out. That seems to help them breathe a little bit more. Breathing in steam or, or humidifier can sometimes help. Um, and then, you know, really thinking about how do you support their immune system as, as best as you can. So even before they get sick, you're helping them when they're sick, if you're giving them good food and, and they're eating you know, healthy and getting good sleep, they're going to recover better than, than, you know, someone who's not doing that. And then when you are sick, I mean, there, there's no one way to do it, but lots of people like doing, you know, some immune support like vitamin D or vitamin C or elderberry syrup. Uh, kids that are older than one can do honey. There's lots of evidence that honey is really the best thing for coughs, uh, even better than most cough medications. So that's a really good thing to do, you know, get a good quality honey. Um, there's homeopathics out there that you can do, you know, Boiron and Highlands, they make different products. So it just depends on, on what you're interests are and what your comfort level is with supplements and, and homeopathics. And obviously discuss these things with your own practitioner, but, but those are just some of the is it, know, common things that you see. Is it really, truly unsafe to give a baby under one honey? I mean, are we really still dealing with the risk of, is it botulism? So here's the thing with that it, medicine, you know, very, has a very clear stance, not before one, because there's a risk of botulism. When you look at the, the numbers and you look at the research and even just, you know, having worked uh, you know, in hospital and, and things like that before it's a very, 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 very low risk, but maybe just not a risk that you need to take, <laughs> you know? So that's one of those things where it's like, eh, you know, is, is there a, so much benefit from giving your kid that it's worth taking that risk? I don't know. There's not a lot of risk and most botulism cases in general come from spores in the air new con near construction sites. And it's not that's that common anyways, but it definitely happens. I mean, I've seen botulism a couple of times in my career, so it's not like it's, it, it never happens. Um, so I, I think right now the jury's still out on that. I really think they need to go back, uh, and do more research to, to very clearly define, okay, how many kids really between, you know, you're not going to give kids probably honey before six months. So if they can, you know, maybe delineate it nine months or, or say like, really how many kids are getting botulism from honey? And is there really a real risk? How big is that risk? I, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't know the numbers and I, I know they're really small, but I would wonder if we could maybe push that those months down a little bit. Um, so that way we can give kids honey at like nine months or, or 10 months or whatever, instead of giving them medication, you know, might be a better option, but the risk of botulism has to be, you know, basically zero or I don't think it's worth it. Finding the perfect pregnancy and breastfeeding bra is no easy task. Your search is now over. Meet Davin and Adley, a mother-owned pumping, nursing, and maternity bra company with a unique comfortable, and stylish cropped cami. This item is perfect to wear all day long from day one of your pregnancy right through the end of your breastfeeding journey and probably beyond. The Amelia cami makes pumping and breastfeeding easy while looking and feeling good on your body. It works seamlessly for both wearable pumps and flange pumps, and you can breastfeed in it. It also has a beautiful stretch lace back. You can sleep in it, dress up in it, 
go out in it, whatever you want to do in it. And trust us, the quality in this item and all of their items are top notch. They're soft, durable, and attractive. These bras will truly go the distance. Davin and Adley carry a gorgeous selection of maternity and nursing wear, and they have an innovative one-piece breast pad that we've never seen anywhere else. So no more losing those solo breast pads, ladies. Go ahead and check out the full collection of maternity and nursing items at davinandadley.com and use your promo code down to birth to save 15%. All right, breastfeeding moms. Do you want to know one of our all-time favorite items for your nursing journey? If you know us, you probably could guess it. Yep, it's the Silverette Nursing Cup. These little nipple heroes not only protect, but also heal because they're made of real silver. It is naturally antimicrobial, antifungal, and anti-inflammatory. These little cups will be your best friend in the early sensitive weeks of breastfeeding your baby. And our favorite part is they last literally forever. You can pass them on just like you would a favorite piece of jewelry. Head on over to silverettusa.com and use promo code down to birth to save 15%. How about um, cow's milk for toddlers, infants? What is the thing about 12 months? Why is it so critical that we don't give cow's milk before 12 months? And do you really ever have to give cow's milk at all? I mean, kids at nine months are having yogurt which has cow's milk or cheese, which has cow's milk. So what's the, what's behind that? Great question. Uh, so I don't know who at some point decided, but you know, you have to make a cut point at some point. So the magical number is one year. There's nothing like magically different about 11 months and 15 days versus a year, but you got to pick a cut point at some point. And there, the reason is more, at least originally around calories, right? You get more calories um, per ounce that you're drinking in, in breast milk or formula than you would um, from any of the other milks, from cow's milk uh, or plant-based milk or whatever other milk you're gonna be drinking. So you want to make sure that your kid is getting enough calories to grow appropriately when they're little. Um, and then as you get closer to one and over one, you don't need as many calories anymore um, because you're eating food um, and you can get your calories from food at that point. Um, so that's the, you know, the cut point that was chosen. And after one, you could switch to, you know, whatever you want um, at that point. When we grew up, it was like, oh, milk, you know, you need cow's milk. You need to get a bunch of glasses and get your calcium. And, and you, there's, you know, good amounts of calcium, certainly in cow's milk. So there's nothing, you know, from that standpoint, that's incorrect. But we were marketed to <laughs> the cow industry. The dairy industry was real good at marketing and, and they marketed that. Um, we do not have the best bones in the world for sure. Lots of osteoporosis in our country. So, um, there are many other ways you can get your calcium and nutrients from food. Um, and, and definitely there's no question. There's a move even in regular, you know, hardcore Western practices that you don't need cow's milk anymore. That's much more common. You can do it if you want to. I tell people when they come in around one and we're talking about it, you can do milk if you want to, if that's something you're comfortable with. Milk is definitely not the same thing that it used to be. A lot of people have issues. A lot of kids have issues with milk these days. There's a lot of chemicals in milk. There's a lot of hormones in cows. Um, it's, it's not, you know, your milkman coming around anymore. So it's not even the same milk as it was before. But I, I think that, you know, there are there calorie for calorie and nutrient for nutrient. It's really hard to uh, there's nothing that quite compares in terms of, you know, you look down the list, they usually have more in terms of the, the, you know, the numbers, but does that necessarily mean it's better? Not necessarily. You can use, uh, there's so many options. That's a good thing. You can, there's goat milk, there's camel milk, there's plant-based milk, almond milk, soy milk. There's so many options that you can choose from. So you can rotate, you can do none and just do water as long as they're eating healthy. Well, part of the controversy around dairy as well. And a lot of this is in the books like pH miracle or the China study is that, irrespective of calcium, it's acidic food. And when we eat acidic food, we actually end up with a mineral deficit in our bodies. So if, if you are looking for more calcium, milk is not as ideal a place to go as say almonds, if you can get enough of it from almonds or from the vegetables that you're eating, because it's so acidic that the way to digest and restore the blood pH is necessarily to produce a mineral deficit in the body. So we can lose more calcium when we have mm -hmm. milk, then the net can be a, a loss, which is interesting, but like they've done studies on osteoporosis. Mm -hmm. And, but what's also interesting about dairy is just the whole, um, 
so many things are resolved when people cut dairy. It's so interesting. Like I, because they say it's mucus forming or it traps toxins. Do you see, did you ever tell a parent to cut dairy from a diet and see an improvement? And do you have theories as to uh, why that's happening? <laughs> What's your theory as to why things improve? Is it because of that mucus yeah. producing factor or what is it? Uh, I mean, number one things that you see an improvement on are, are, are kids, parents that cut gluten and dairy, right? That That's far and above the most common triggers of, of sensitivity. It, it, it has to be, you know, what's in there, you know, something is, we're just not built for whatever the new age versions of these are. They're sprayed and everything. Are you talking they're about, not, I'm sorry, are you talking about parents cutting dairy and gluten if they're breastfeeding or, or are you talking about cutting dairy and gluten out of the children's diet. But, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> it's the it, same thing. I mean, across the board for all humans, I think right now, or at least in Americans. It's uh, a lot of cow you know, protein for a human body. Yeah, I mean, I, who's to say we have to be dependent on a cow's protein, right? As opposed to some right, other yeah. mammal, right? It's, it's, an, it's interesting how cultural that is. It's also, um, you know, not just from a sensitivity, but just an enzyme standpoint. You know, we, we both, many, many, many people the majority of people don't break down milk properly. And that's a fact. I mean, you can look at the enzymes that, that, that we just don't have the lactase enzyme. So, so many, many people are just sensitive from that standpoint, but for whatever reason, I don't know why it doesn't mean just because you go cut, you know, dairy or, or gluten, you're going to be totally fine, but that is what you see. That's what's causing inflammation the most right now. Maybe it's just a factor of that's what people eat the most and it's caused a lot of sensitivity or just, those are the things that just don't sit well in people in general. Um, and if you cut it down significantly, then it just decreases inflammation in your body. Your gut can work a little bit better. You can break things down a little better. Cause just like you said, you know, just cause there's calcium in something doesn't mean you absorb it properly. And, you know, if you put uh, calcium into hydrochloric acid, it's not going to help you. Right. <laughs> you know, so it's, it depends on what the medium is and how your body could process it. Um, and not just, not just the medium. And, and I guess, you know, whatever version of milk we have right now is, is not in any way, the same thing as if you go back hundreds of years ago and you milk a cow and you drink it, it's like, it's totally different, right? So you're, you know, you're pasteurizing it first of all, um, which is good, you know, in terms of killing bacteria, that's a good thing, or you don't want bacteria if it's sitting around forever, but you obviously do a lot of bad to it too, by that same process, right? So it's a function of mass producing. Again, you, if you can't eat something or drink something fast enough, you have to do something to kill the bacteria, but to do that, you change it. Um, and then, you know, how are the cows raised? What has been done to them? Are they real cows, you know, quote unquote, like they're out in the, out in the, the pasture, walking around, happy, hanging out with their family, eating grass, or are they in a factory farm? Um, and, and that is very different. You know, it's going to be very different milk that's going to come out of them. And, and I, you know, we haven't evolved to, to drink and eat these things. These are new. These are changed the last five, 10 years, you know, that, that were not the same thing hundreds of, of, you know, 50, hundred years ago. So we changed the system. We changed what we're, what we changed our input, but we didn't change our body. And so it's not surprising that if you change something like that, that our bodies are going to be like, no, you know, F you like, this is not working for me. And, uh, you're gonna, you're gonna not do well with this. I'm going to just try to get it out. And, and then we're going to do rashes and whatever, whatever's going to happen. And why do you think your body can fight off an infection when it's just dealing with the food and the air, uh, and the chemical that you spread on yourself, it doesn't have any reserves left to deal with the, the new, you know, new virus that comes around or the, the autoimmune disease that's building up in your body. It just it doesn't have, it can only do so much. Um... What do you say for, what do you say to parents about gassiness in babies? I have, I have my opinion on it as a lactation consultant, but I'm sure it's a very common complaint that you get, whether babies are breastfed or formula fed, that their babies are constantly hiccuping and gassy or constipated in quotation marks okay. if they're breastfed. Um, how do you handle that? Yeah, it's a, it's a good one. Um, it's kind of funny because everybody thinks their kid is gassy. It's like, yeah, as a pediatrician nearly a hundred percent of parents at some point in the first two months, are like my kid's really gassy. I don't know. And, and so the reality is every kid is gassy. I mean, what is gassy? It's breaking down milk. Um, you know, so that that's normal 
for the most part. Um, can you be too gassy? Yeah, I'm sure you can. Kids are most gassy around a month, six, you know, six weeks, two months. That's when you know the colicky period is. But it also makes sense because they're getting a little bigger, they're getting a little smarter, they can, you know, maybe sense things a little bit more, they're a little more uncomfortable, they're getting a bigger volume in, so then there's more gas to be broken down. So that, that's all, you know, generally pretty normal. But if they're like supremely miserable, they're not gaining weight, they're spitting up a ton, they're really, really gassy. Sometimes it could be their diet, right? So sometimes if you make changes, um, there could be something in there if you're breastfeeding that you're eating that it just isn't sitting well with them. So again, I mean, I would start with like dairy or wheat. Those are usually the common things and just see if that makes any difference. Um, it could be anything else. I've seen it be all sorts of weird things sometimes where parents are like, oh, I took out, you know, tomatoes and it's much better. Okay. You know, everybody's different. Every kid is different. So maybe there's something in there that causes a little you know, irritation for that child, or if they're on formula, then, you know, maybe the formula is just not the best fit for that baby. So you can always try to switch it up and see if a different formula maybe sits a little bit better, or, you know, sometimes probiotics can be helpful for babies. There, there's little options that you can do, but for the most part, if they're like gassy, but smiley and happy and, and growing, then you don't necessarily need to do anything about it. And it'll usually, usually get better. Yeah. I think parents just kind of don't realize, because as an adult, if we're gassy, it's like, really awkward and uncomfortable and, you know, not something we want to have, but it's really just a part of being a baby. They, they have very mm -hmm. immature digestive tracts, right? They're just like brand mm -hmm. new and they have a lot of maturing to do. And gassiness is just part of that, that process. And there really isn't much to be done about it most of the time. Mm -hmm. Definitely. So what's your takeaway with that feeling of overwhelm people can have listening like, oh my gosh, it's like, I can't do anything. I can't eat anything. You know how, what, how, how that happens. We just feel like we, yeah. like, it's just so stressful. What would you just say is, you know, the takeaway overall for people to give thought yeah, to? That's the perfect way to end. So number one, try not to get overwhelmed with anything that we said today, right? The, right. the, the, the big takeaway here is there's so much that you can do. You don't have to do it all. You don't have to like go into your kitchen and throw literally everything away or, you know, pack up and move to the mountain somewhere and, and, and just become a forager. It's not what you have to do. Most people can be totally healthy. If you make little changes, small choices, and it, it's really about identifying, right? And that's where I think the conversation today, you know, especially for a pregnant mom, someone who's thinking about getting pregnant, a new mom is okay, here's where your life was. Here's where you want it to go. How do I get to a healthier place in the future? Let me understand all the things that are going into my system, into my baby, into my family's life. Where are some of those potential triggers or problems? And then what can I do about that to make different choices and just make small choices every day. If you're conscious of it, once you're conscious of it, it's actually not that hard because you just like literally are always thinking about health but you don't have to do it all today. You just have to be like, okay, I want a healthy child. I don't want my kid to be one of those statistics. Or if they you know, do happen to have something, I want to make sure they're as healthy as possible and I can decrease their risk of having any complications. So let's just think about their food. Think about exercise, sleep. I think one thing you said that was really important is that the body is always seeking to heal us. And it takes very little for the body to be like, thank you so much. I'm off and running. I'm going to heal you now. So no matter what you're doing and eating, uh, and breathing. If you have a whole piece of fruit, you just cleanse yourself. Every time you have a whole piece of produce, your body is on a mission with those nutrients, those enzymes to restore you to health. So even before you start cutting anything out, if you just add a little bit of that produce in, it was that point you made earlier, your body will just take that and use it to cleanse you from the things we can and can't avoid. That's just everywhere. We don't want to get mm -hmm. overwhelmed with it. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, we have the power to make the changes in our own family. You as a parent, you're the leader of the family and you have the power to make the changes and the choices for them. No more excuses, no more too busy. You know, you, it doesn't matter what your kids want, you know, for some of these things, like you're in charge, you buy the food. So, you know, there are better options out there. You shouldn't deprive them of being happy or having good food, but you should make better choices of food that they would want. They will thank you, I promise you, one day. So I, I think, you know, just that's important and nobody's going to do it for you. Definitely no one's going to do it for you. So it's up to you to become educated in this stuff, uh, find a support network um, like this one, and, and, and know that it's in your power and it's not that hard. It's just that you just need to be conscious of it. And, and hopefully that's, you know, some of the messaging that we 
you know, get across it. Just, just be conscious that, that you have a lot of power over your kids' health. Thanks for joining us at the Down to Birth Show. You can reach us at Down to Birth Show on Instagram or email us at contact at downtobirthshow.com. All of Cynthia's classes and Trisha's breastfeeding services are held live, online, serving women and couples everywhere. Please remember this information is made available to you for educational and informational purposes only. It is in no way a substitute for medical advice. For our full disclaimer, visit downtobirthshow.com slash disclaimer. Thanks for tuning in. And as always, hear everyone and listen to yourself. I remember being a little kid and people were still having arguments about whether or not smoking really caused cancer. There was a period there for another few decades where it was controversial. And again, people mocked it just like when organic food came about in the nineties, many people mocked it. Yeah. For, for country, sometimes you're on the, the, the leading edge, but, but then you just always have to be careful because sometimes you can go too far and, and some people can be way out there. And then, you know, that that's also not good either in terms of being too holistic minded. Sometimes like, there's a balance. What's too far. Uh, too far is, is, uh, you know, very clear situations where like an antibiotic might be needed or a steroid might be needed. If you, if you, you know, break your leg, you're going to be real happy. There's an x-ray, right. And someone that can fix that. So there's a lot of good for medicine too, but we also have to understand that there's limitations on both ends and we need to understand our lane and work together and, and, you know, be a team and natural. That's the beauty of, like you said, of integrative medicine, how to, how to work together in the best way possible to, for the best outcome for everybody, Mm -hmm. because we really do need both.